0: Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room episode seventy one, the review segment for Friday, May twenty second, two thousand and fifteen. It's the year of our time, Lord Doctor Emmett Brown and it's Memorial Day weekend. Happy Memorial. American listeners, I hope you have a good weekend ahead of you, and uh, we're here to talk about Tomorrowland, which is, I guess, still kind of a secretive movie. There's a. It is. If you watch the tra- well, if you watch the trailers, it's still kind of hard to get a sense of like what's actually going on, and it seems to me that like in interviews that uh, director Brad Bird, uh, co-writer Damon Lynn Luff are trying to kind of keep the. Story under wraps, but oh, I don't know. Maybe yeah. I just, just haven't you know, didn't pay that much attention. I interviewed Brad Bird,
2: and I was talking about things that are in the trailers, and he's like, please do not tell anyone. Please don't run this before the movie comes out. And I'm like, well, um, this this big sequence is in the trailer. It's like the keystone moment of your trailer. And he's like, yeah, I wasn't happy about that. I'm like, well, well, unfortunately, it's the only moment from the movie that they can sell, because it's a boring movie.
0: Well, so, okay, so if you Which moment?
2: It's in the trailers. Hey, 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 but, uh,
0: Alright, so if you adhere to Brad Bird's <laughs> incredible, insane spoiler yeah. policy, you might want to just skip this off if you've seen the movie, but we're gonna be a little, studio. we're just gonna be a little more open about what this movie's about to actually be able to talk about it. Yeah, I think um, we're gonna have to do that. We're gonna go it's, there. Yeah, but so, it's a, it's, it's a fantasy, it's an adventure, it kind of it's almost hard to talk about what this movie's about without being like, what's about about? You know, because it's a kind of movie about ideas no, it's in not, which people it's not say the about. ideas out loud all the time. <laughs> so it's about a place in which all the inventors have gone to be able to fulfill their ideas, but it's also about the future and optimism and how we used to be more optimistic about the future. This movie wears its heart on its sleeve. It's got a lot of ideas involved. It really, it's got some, I think, pretty solid action sequences. It's got George Clooney being grumpy and Britt Robertson who I think is a really interesting performer. But it's also... A really just kind of a raw nerve about optimism and trying to be nice to each other. And Patches, I know this didn't work for you that well. I still am really trying to sort out my feelings on Tomorrowland, so maybe you should just persuade me. Why is this movie terrible? Well,
2: it's it's got interesting ideas, which it decides in its last act to just shout in your face as loud as it possibly can. <laughs> but it has no... It is it is not um, tactful <clears throat> at all. Like, the script is a complete mess. What is this movie about? Well, the beginning of it is about young Frank Walker, A.K. George Clooney's character as he stumbles from the 1964 World's Fair into Tomorrowland, the Inventors' Paradise, and then it jumps ahead to Britt Robertson, who plays a, a young whippersnapper who she she's a punk inventor and she's trying to save um, Cape Canaveral, I think, by yeah. Like, continuing to terrorize it which she should probably be in jail for because you can't just fuck up a government site because you want to save science unfortunately you should be in jail casey newton aka Britt robertson
0: wow um, you're really on the side of the man here
2: I, I i this movie pushed me into that way like look i'm a <laughs> liberal guy but bleeding heart liberalism kind of pushes you in the other direction violently it's this is oh my God. message movie um but anyway brit robertson well, after going to jail for tampering with Cape Canaveral, gets this pin from a little robot girl, who I will now refer to as Small Wonder, uh, for lack of a better name.
0: <laughs> you don't know she's a robot at the time.
2: Well, she's a fucking... You definitely know she's a robot. I knew she was a robot from the
1: World's Fair sequences on. I, I mean, start ex- assuming all people are robots, <laughs> and it has to be proven to me otherwise. <laughs> yes. You Until assume the scene where they're, still robots, their hand right? get
2: stabbed. Um, anyway, little robot girl gives casey newton a pin and now she can go it's i don't really understand the logic of this but the pin transports you to tomorrowland briefly um no matter where she is
0: physically your head is there but you are still physically walking around in the world as proven when Britt robertson bumps her head on things a couple times
2: right or like she's in the jail lobby and people are watching her wandering around as she's in tomorrowland or she eventually runs into a swamp while she thinks she's in tomorrowland I don't really get why that makes any sense, but I guess it looks cool. The effect of swapping back and forth between the real world and Tomorrowland is snazzy
1: yeah difficult. the pin the pin is actually despite what the trailers might have you believe a, a pretty small part of the movie it's an advertisement for Tomorrowland like sort of yeah, a beacon yeah it's
2: great viral marketing that they can hand out at theaters right uh, so you can which is Tomorrowland
0: honestly pin. if someone invents that I will be into it that's pretty cool viral well, marketing
2: well so this movie is all about memorabilia and retro futurist design until it's not anymore it's very funny because this whole movie is playing up that Britt Robertson connects with George Clooney and they're gonna go on a Tomorrowland adventure except for the fact that it takes an hour to get to him and then 40 minutes is left to the movie where they do absolutely nothing
1: I'm trying to think oh, of, the like, movie is happened? longer than that I'm afraid Patches uh, this it's, is two it's, hours it's, it's more minutes. than two hours it's
2: felt extremely long like really nothing happens as Casey Newton uh, tries to figure out what Tomorrowland is why this little girl robot is following her and the little girl robot will not tell her despite we later learn there's really nothing keeping <laughs> her preventing her from just spilling the beans and making getting this movie on with it you know that, that's what I kept feeling like throughout this whole thing like yeah somebody just say what's going on in this movie so the actual adventure can start? This movie is a lot like Explorers or like these Amblin movies where um, little kids go on adventures and they stumble upon weird and wild things and it's just enough for them to kind of see them for the first time, this wonder, this sense of wonder. And you don't have any of that here when it's a teenager and George Clooney. And yet there is a little kid. She has a little brother who I'm like, I kept
1: wanting it to be
2: about him. And I know I can't complain about that. But goddammit, this movie is about nothing.
1: It has zero Always
0: right. be about men, huh? Well,
1: I do think that uh, my biggest disappointment with this movie is that you know, Brad Bird, I think, is a fascinating guy. I think he is one of the few big-budget uh, auteur directors who is able to um, build in his message, his ethos, into the fabric of a movie. It's always – it's not always – Crystal clear, but it's always right there on the surface. But he weaves Iron it Giant into. Was
2: clear. It was a, that's my one of my favorite movies of all time. What,
1: I should say. What? Yeah, no, but I mean, what? it's it's it serves Iron the Giant. story. Serves it. They are. It's a sort of a mutually beneficial symbiotic relationship between story and message. And um, Tomorrowland really whiffs on that balance. Uh, it becomes all message. No story. I really I hesitate to lay blame because I think that's always a mistake. We were not there on set. We were not there in production. We do not know who was responsible for what. And uh, I, you know, when I spoke to Bradbury. He said that the script was very fluid when he came in, and so his paw prints are sort of all over. Well, they this. all get credit. Um,
2: Bradbury gets credit. Right. Damon Lindelof gets credit. The guy from. Entertainment Weekly, who I don't know what <laughs> right. he did on it, but he gets Jeff read. Jensen,
1: yeah. So that's me saying I want to blame Damon Lindelof, but I don't feel right doing that. Uh, I, I heard
0: you saying that.
1: <laughs> but um, but I will say, uh, on a more concrete note, that Britt Robertson's character is terrible.
2: Yeah, I don't know. Katie, <laughs> you you said you thought she was a, like a, an exciting performance, a discovery here. She's real
1: as hell. Um, I mean, the character is just it, very obvious what she's all about. Um, and she sort of sort of reminded me of like a demented version of a Miyazaki heroine. This like very perfectly energetic, optimistic young girl um, who wants what's best for the future and doesn't have any hesitations about claiming for herself. Uh, unlike Miz- Miyazaki characters, there's there's really no beating heart behind there. And her performance, I just thought, was somebody in their mid twenties overcompensating for playing a teenager, and it's okay. just very very shrill. Uh, and uh, like really, just like nails on a chalkboard. Um, I, I really, and I felt that way about most of the characters in the movie. George Clooney is just uh, there's no you character really do there.
2: That much. And yet, I will say this. George Clooney has one of the best moments of his career in this movie. I did can not you not like this film,
1: you but. tip the tip off tip us off as to what that is? Because you mentioned that earlier, I had no does idea. Does it involve
0: that. a uh, does it involve a robot in its final moments? It does.
2: It does involve small wonder. Let's just go full spoilers on this movie right now because sure. I, I, we need to talk about the message too because that's all this movie is clinging to. It really has no adventure. Like I, I'm trying to think of all the action beats in the middle of the movie before its anti-climax. and I think the only thing that really happens is Keegan Michael Key and Catherine Hahn show up as robots who try and kill her. In I like
0: really that
2: scene a idiotic. lot. Idiotic! I hated it. Oh. No, I, I. I mean, I. What I. And then the, robots start chasing it, them for no reason. Uh, it's
1: But the movie does feel, and again, it's pitched towards younger audiences than maybe we were expecting. But it does feel like a Saturday morning serial. Um, and I, while I didn't like how it went about doing that, I liked of it. I liked the. I think, you know, it's fine for me that it exists, even though it's not my cup of tea. Um, but. Yeah, it's... It, anyway, let's go and talk Let's say it, let's say it about is for
2: kids, and I readjust my opinions here. Um, I mean, there are scenes where robots with laser blasters explode policemen, Yes, just like, hey, what's up?
1: <laughs>
2: and I'm like, holy shit! That's it's like extremely violent, s- super that's violent true. murder. And I'm like, that man had a family of children, and that man did. Ah,
1: you don't um, know that they could have been single. They, they could were have together, alert. actually. <laughs> no no <laughs> one will mention them. There's a
2: subplot that got cut from the movie. They are gay and they are in love, and they were both killed. So I get they saw each other in Tomorrowland.
0: Um, I, wanted, um, I Tomorrowland.
1: I to this movie how for a fascist minute. is kay. Tomorrowland? Super.
0: Point. Okay. Super oh, okay. It's Tarland this is the can of worms. We are plot of Atlas Shrugged. Right. It's all about the smartest people in the world. I mean, in Atlas Shark they're going on strike and not giving their stuff to the world. But in Tomorrowland, they go off to this place and then don't share any of their shit with the world, which right. is so crazy that so it never addresses that. Does
2: that mean Does that mean that, that angle works for most of the movies? So Hugh Laurie plays another Tomorrowland inventor guy who's basically, it turns out, concocting an evil Plan to—he's using negativity. The world's negativity is somehow feeding into tachyons that present the future, and everyone thinks the future. Wait, no, we're no, no—he's
0: causing the world's negativity. It, yeah, it's a give and take because
2: we—if if we were being more positive, if we—if we didn't indulge in. Uh, disaster films in the films of Roland Emmerich, we wouldn't be in such a <laughs> shitty place, apparently. I
0: wish they called him out. I wish they called out Roland Emmerich. I mean, they I basically do. I don't know how They you call can out watch Mad movies. Max and San Andreas. It, well, it's, so very funny
1: that, it's very funny that uh, Mad Max is sort of the uh, embodiment of the, the movies that this film is saying, like, no more of these. These are toxic for our environment, and Mad Max just outclasses it in every way. Well,
2: also, Mad uh, Max it, is optimistic, not this one. Right,
1: right, but it, it, it's not a good look for Tomorrowland.
0: I'll say. So that. I wanted, I wanted to defend this movie, and I think I can get back to what we were talking about in terms of the plot. I do think for the first hour, and because I, I liked Britt Robertson, I liked her energy. I liked the robot girl. Small I liked wonder the is the best part go on i like the king of michael key and uh katherine hahn sequence like I, th- I thought the tone of the action really made sense to me where it was kind of bright michael Gino, Kino's score is very energetic that amblin thing definitely came to mind for me and even when george clooney shows up like you know you see him kind of cutting himself off you see him opening himself up their banter is a little stilted but whatever even the about to the point where they kind of jump into this pod to be able to travel and you're like okay they're finally going to tomorrowland then they fucking wind up in the Eiffel Tower and an entire other sequence like that happens. and That's about the <laughs> that's point what where Brad the Bird wheels start spoiler, to fall off for me. <laughs> I know. Brad Bird thinks... The Eiffel Tower being a, a rocket ship, Is it? It's, oh, yeah, the it's money a money shot. Space.
2: Yeah, they, so they they shoot themselves into space so that they can return and hit a top speed that propels them into the alternate universe where. Yeah,
0: and is. it's just this like really weird screenwriting choice where like they're doing the same thing twice essentially. Yes. and just the second time they walk past statues of Nikola Tesla, so they can talk about. Tesla being involved in the society. Of, like it's, it's so like, it it's, it's stuff that happened on lost all right. the time. And I loved lost. And <laughs> I've talked about this on the show, but lost would do this too, where it would just take these back channels because they came up with this cool story idea that they couldn't let go of for the sake of a streamlined story. And that's something that Brad Bird's other movies have really ruthlessly Avoided, which is kind of what makes it such a bummer that even though this movie has start off in such a good way, I think by the time they get to Tomorrowland, who Lauri gets involved, and none of the story makes any but sense anymore. It's really disappointing to see that from movie
2: Dying him. to be just scenes like the Eiffel Tower thing, like the Eiffel Tower sequence feels like um, a national retro treasure or something. You know, like it could be a whole <laughs> movie of going to crazy places and discovering what. Uh, plus Ultra, the secret society that only really gets mentioned once and is perfect for viral marketing. Uh, It's very intriguing. Thomas Edison, Nikola Tesla, uh, you know, secret society. It's fun. But the movie's not really about that. It's it's plotting from these different ideas, these different movies that it wants to be, and mashing them all together. And it's a total mess. Like, how can Clooney do nothing in this movie? It doesn't... Until he
0: cries over a robot.
2: Now, this is the best scene... In the movie and in his career, so in his entire kid, career, I really think it's extremely touching, uh, and it's it's touching because watch it's so out weird. of sight again,
0: and then we'll talk.
2: Well, maybe, but so when he when George Clooney was a kid, he had feelings for this robot girl, and so did she. Whoa, robots can have feelings, um, and then she sacrifices herself in this big dumb robot-driven. Portals, uh, mashing. Who knows what? Oh on God! The end. But she sacrifices herself, and they have a moment where he says goodbye. He's like hovering in a jetpack, which a is cool, and then b this touching little back and forth. And I thought it was extremely sweet. I was not prepared, maybe because the other movie, <laughs> the other movie, the previous like two hours had been so dull that it was just waiting, waiting for just a smidgen of. of Real emotion. And I found it was touching. Clooney does not have moments like that. He has to run around with laser blasters and jump in a bathtub with a 20-year-old girl. Boring. David,
0: did you find anything? But the movie emot- is Okay, wait, actually, David, you did a really deep dive on Brad Bird. You talked to him for a long time for this feature in Little White Lies. Yeah. I feel like you of anyone would go in like having a sense of what you expected Brad Bird to bring to it. What what do you think happened? That kind of he, this guy who was was so sure-footed and everything he'd made before kind of seemed to lose it here.
1: I don't really know. I mean, this is uh, first of all, as my disclaimer, this is like peak. Read the article rather than hear what I have to say about it, <laughs> because it was a while ago. And and Tomorrowland, I, I almost attempted tempted to write a follow up because I'm not. I'm curious to see if my arguments hold. I, the piece is yet to be published, and uh, it's it's in the new issue of Little White Lies. It's yet to be published online, um, but I, I think that. I, I just talked a lot about his sense of imagination and wonder, and, and I think it does translate into the sense of optimism in this movie. Um, I think a lot of that stuff works, but I, I do think that the message hijacks the story. And I had said on this podcast and elsewhere before that my faith for this movie rested in my faith in Brad Bird's command over story. I think that he's always worked hard to integrate his messages into these movies with varying degrees of success, but he's always had such a terrific and innate command of story that he's been able to finagle it one way or another. Here, for whatever reason, maybe it's too many cooks in the kitchen uh, to nod towards Ratatouille or whatever the case might be, but <laughs> um, it, it just really feels like everyone is chasing around this message about about optimism, about these happy thoughts and, and eventually that the message becomes the not just the story but it becomes the the plot device i mean the movie builds to this nonsensical machine that like the riddler's machine in batman return uh, batman uh, forever, th- forever just you know beams thoughts around the world that was the first and really the only thing that i thought of because there's not enough imagination yeah, here to separate hilarious. it from that um, this is a really terrible movie and i it's think that's shocking because that i wanted to like it so much yeah too. it's a terrible movie yeah. made by a good filmmaker and i think that's a very different and Evident thing. I, I don't think that you can watch this movie, even if you hadn't been familiar with Brad Bird and come away from it thinking that this was the work of a bad filmmaker. I think it's the work of a wayward filmmaker. Uh, but Brad Bird is, is, there are moments that pop in this. There are moments um, where you can see what he was going for, which sort of makes it shortcomings all the more frustrating.
2: The scene in
0: Clooney's
1: house. Yes, that they've
2: been teasing big time in clips online because it's the scene of the movie. It's
0: the great. big action sequence. And, yeah, and yeah. also
1: the. I like this a lot. Uh, the big scene where she visits in her mind, at least, Tomorrowland for the first time. and We see a fully mm-hmm. functioning Tomorrowland. It, it, the aesthetic feels ripped directly from a Final Fantasy game of the PlayStation 3 <laughs> or
2: 4 variety. But, uh, a little
1: bit. It, it does, but, you know, the translating the look of old school Tomorrowland to the screen iteration of it. There's a lot of things that are mediating that along the way. Um, I think that really works uh, and gels, but there's everything in the story is just so flimsy and there's no and I think a lot of it does come back to the characters. I mean, I think with a story like this, I would always have a hang up with Um, how it packages its idea and, you know, it builds to this terrible closing montage, which is really just woof. Uh, But um, (laughs) I think that, you know, the fact that the villain is completely, the motivation is awful, Um, the fact that the, it was not the fact, but my opinion that the character, the lead character and George Clooney and really everyone, uh, all the people are super uninteresting and shrill. I mean it's just not a fun adventure to watch. Yeah, You
2: mentioned that it might be better for, for kids and I'm like, yes, if it was just about having a sense of wonder and like believing in – or being optimistic and, and believing in innovation, then I would be totally with you. Like we can make some sacrifices in the story department to send that really – Bold message in this cynical world, to use a word from earlier this week when we talk about Mad Men. Um, but it's not. It's I, I left the film feeling shamed and left thinking that any young mind that saw this would would grow up to be someone they shouldn't, someone to to push away and like, you know, they have to reach for being special and they, you only get into this exclusive cool kids club if you're smart enough. That is an awful message. I really
0: that's i, it's I mean so for weird the people who hear... believe that Brad Bird believes in Iran. See, i don't us.
1: i don't think that and a part of what this article that i wrote about is is trying to suss that out because i certainly understand where those accusations come from. Um, i just don't think that they I wouldn't, hold necessarily. Yeah. <laughs> um, but i you know, and, and I think that every one of his new movies, particularly one that foregrounds his ideas as much as this one does, uh, is a fun challenge to my defense. <laughs> um, but I... I yeah, I, I think that it's not necessarily about the Cool Kids Club. I think it's just about these self-fulfilling prophecies of feeling uh, – putting positive thoughts back. It's more like The Secret than anything else. It's like <laughs> put positive thoughts into the world and uh, positive things will happen. You guys can sort of reshape the world. And I the don't image know how you
2: feel positive off. after this movie if you just feel like I'm just the guy in this world. I'm the guy in the refrigerator. Uh, oh, Leonard! <laughs> yeah, I'm weeping now. I'll, be, I'll so never feel get to like you to I'll never go. I will never get a pin. I'm not cool enough.
1: But Pat, make your own Tomorrowland by just putting, Whoa. you know, being optimistic. You can do it. I no, well, I
0: mean, I do think the movie enough. does a did good does do a good job of saying it's not just belief that's enough. It's actually doing something. And the the reason that this girl is our heroine, it's not just because she likes science, but because she's like really going to great lengths to save it. And not just for her dad's job. Um, to go back to the beginning, I think the, the the extent to which it sparks imagination and where David was talking about being a good filmmaker, I really like the beginning of the movie, The World's Fair, where he gets on It's a Small World. And I have no idea if It's a Small World actually exists at The World's Fair. Yes, it did. But, okay, so that's really interesting. And then it then turns into this portal to another world, which I... I feel like, is what all of us secretly want to happen when we get on a theme park ride. And it's done in this really imaginative... I mean, it really sucked me in in the beginning. And I think that's probably why I went along with it for so long. Because it had all these ideas of, like, the way that there's this world beneath you. And that discovery and, you know, wanting things to be different can really amount to a whole lot. That just feels like Um, its own movie again, though. Like,
2: I don't really... Understand like so. The, one of the plot points of this is that young George Clooney gets to go to Tomorrowland back in 1964 World's Fair, and for some reason everyone ages. Uh, they, they drink milkshakes that <laughs> prevent them from aging. Oh yeah, uh, but something a, a catastrophic event occurs in Tomorrowland. Uh, why? How? It's all. It's made the up. event it's
0: that like, he. It's the it's the machine that he invented the the tachyons thing.
2: Yeah, but it's all. That's not that doesn't turn out to be true. So there's a lot of question marks about – the problem is this movie abandons itself so many times in favor of getting to this didactic monologue from Hugh Laurie and George Clooney basically punching Hugh Laurie in the face, Um, which I guess is worth building to. But I (laughs) completely agree with you, Katie. The beginning of this movie is a lot of of fun, a visual flair. Well, there's that
1: moment where There's a moment where, you know, for a split second before you realize that the movie would never do this to them, it seems like George Clooney and Hugh Laurie are going to be abandoned forever on a beach. Oh, they, uh, like a beach from Lost in the middle of nowhere. And I was like, you know, before the, the logic snapped into place and I was like, all right, well, they're going to set up the portal and they'll go back and etc. I was like, this is a movie I would much rather watch. I would much them rather see them. Island? Yeah, and having to reconcile their two divergent philosophies and, you know... Divergent. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, because I really don't give a shit about the people on the other side of the portal and I certainly don't care about the stupid robot who's running around. Um,
2: Which don't matter again. They fall off the planet. That doesn't really come back. It's a totally different movie. It's
1: very odd. Yeah. But... This is just a major misfire and I think, uh, you know, I, I think that I'm... In the spirit of the movie, I'll say this: I'm optimistic about what its effects will be. Not necessarily well, the, for the will be, film. Brad
2: Bird is directing Incredibles too.
1: Well, that was going to happen it's anyway. I don't know, but I mean, um, I, and not not that this is this is going to be bad news for people that are trying to mount big budget original. Films. Uh, yeah. So it's the movie's a huge bummer in that respect um, between this and Jupiter ascending. I think you're not going to see that kind of movie for a long time. Oh. Um, but uh, I do think that Brad Bird is too smart not to learn valuable lessons from his experience that he can apply to his future work. So,
0: yeah, like don't cut Judy Greer out of the movie. Damn, she really got cut out, didn't she? She's, she Ooh. doesn't even have a line. She's like, she, she's seen she's in the barely. Cyanide. You, you hear Wait, her who
2: is she? I didn't even remember. the, the video in the
0: beginning of you see her as a little girl, like naming the stars. Like you could literally oh. only I only recognize her by her voice.
2: It was so weird. It was. And it's yeah, really weird. Tim McGraw. If Tim McGraw gets to go to Tomorrowland, there's hope for us all.
0: Tim McGraw. I've been saying this since some terrible Tribeca movie I saw him in. He's he's a pretty good actor, honestly. Let's, I'll, I'll I'll keep him around.
2: Uh, so why don't we wrap up? Tim McGraw, Tomorrowland, piece of oh, junk. God. Uh,
0: <laughs> I would argue that Tomorrowland is not a piece of junk. I would, I don't know that I would say run out and see it. And God knows, see Mad Max if that's your choice. But I do think if you go into it kind of willing to go with it for a long time, it will reap rewards before Emphasis the ending kind time. of really. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to say, like, for I think more than half of it, I was pretty engaged by it until it really started losing me in the fucking Eiffel Tower.
2: It'll really put your liberalism in check. I'll say that. Where do you stand on the political spectrum? You're about to find out. Tomorrowland.
0: And how much do you like Ayn Rand?
2: (laughs) Should I read a Randian book? I've never read any of her books. Fountainhead. Atlas Shrug. I read The
0: Fountainhead in high school and like thought it was amazing, and I will never read it again because I'm just I know how dumb it will make me feel.
2: Wow. Okay. So I'm putting that on my summer reading list. Thank you.
0: It's re- It's just really for like if you're just like, oh yeah, there are special people in the world, and I'm one of them, and I really deserve to be like celebrated for how amazing I am.
2: Wow. That yeah, you're right. That is Tomorrowland.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, and in Atlas Shrugged, like the most special people literally like go move to a different place, which is exactly the plot of Tomorrowland.
2: Tomorrowland. See it tomorrow land. Oh.
0: Which is what was this week's lightning round question?
2: Yes, it was in Mm -hmm. honor of Mad Men, which ended. I don't know if you guys heard. Um, But in honor of Mad Men, what character from the show deserves a spin off
1: show?
0: David, what do you think?
1: Oh boy. Uh, So many interesting answers here. I am going to go with Jacob Berman, who says, uh, at Jeb -er (laughs) Ermanator. (laughs) <laughs> J who says Bobby Draper all four of him in one house. Charlie Kaufman can write this is my inclusion now uh, but I <laughs> I would love to see that. Uh
0: Katie you. Oh okay. Um I'm going with a late breaking one from Swedgeland who says Meredith of course that actress had real comic timing and I'm pretty into that as well. she was Although funny. I
2: th- Have I seen I her thought
0: Meredith I don't know Meredith but she really emerged for me in the final few episodes and that's that was a a great thing that Mad Men did. It was it would have people kind of in in the cast on the show. Like Megan was there for a while before we realized she was going to be important and then Meredith all of a sudden emerged in the last few episodes and uh, I'm a big fan of her. Whoever whatever the actress is, please the way what it, you do next.
1: The way they plant Megan over the course of that whole season is just a work of beauty, by the way. If you go back and rewatch that
0: season. I got to go back and watch. Yeah. Patches Yes, I
2: am going to go with oh, – so many people want Sally. I don't know what that – I guess that show would –
0: Sally's be been the obvious pick, I guess.
2: Yeah, but what decade would she have to live out? You know, like, 80s. I want to see her in like – yeah, the late 80s. That sounds horrible. <laughs> I want to see the Bob Benson prequel show like uh, at Juvie Cinephile.
0: Uh, at, at Bob Benson at Beloit?
2: Yeah, like wasn't he a whole – he's like a scam artist. He's basically his character from Lone Star again. So I want to see him like be it's, I, I he, guess and, I want, he and Manolo <laughs> or no, wait, I really want to go with our friend at King Bryce seven who said D.B. Cooper. <laughs> Where's that story?
0: Where is the D.B. Cooper Please story? Deliver. Okay, that should be the last we talk about Mad Men and Tomorrowland for a little while. We'll be back next week. I sure hope we're going to be talking about San Andreas, which is obviously the most important movie of the summer. It's a disaster. Uh, Yeah, uh, and we'll talk about some other things, too. In the meantime, tell the people who you are.
2: I'm Matt Patches. I'm the senior writer at Esquire.com, and I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. Oh, wait, and read Esquire.com this week because I have a very valuable piece our discussion on Tomorrowland, it's about the World's Fair. No, it's also about Walt Disney. No, it's also about the city of the future that he wanted to build in Orlando, Florida.
0: Wow, you've got as many ideas as Tomorrowland.
2: I know, it's a crazy piece.
1: Oh boy, Uh, I'm David Ehrlich. I am the... What am I? Who am I? Tomorrowland (laughs) has made me question everything. I am you got to believe.
2: Believe in yourself.
1: Associate film editor of Time Out New York and the editor of Large of Little White Lies magazine. You can find me on Twitter at David Erlich and just start there.
2: At Tomorrowland. <laughs> <laughs> well, you really
0: just gave up on your own identity right there.
1: You're never getting Tomorrowland. Like I am, <sighs> man.
0: <him>. Oh, God. <laughs> God. <laughs> okay, I'm Katie Ridge. You can find me at VanityFair.com or on Twitter at Katie Rich K-A-T-E-Y R-E-C-H I'm also Ham uh, thanks for listening and we'll be back talking to you next week don't taste down my back and it's real.